Good morning, Outlook family. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. I hope you're doing well. I'm really excited to get to spend the next few minutes in God's Word together. And before I do, I'd love to pray together. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we take this moment, as we've just been so beautifully led in worship, a chance to open our hearts to You, a chance to just be reminded of Your love and Your goodness to us. Lord, we now, as Jason prayed just a moment ago, Lord, we, we ask that You would plant Your Word in our hearts, that You would find these open hearts ready to receive Your Word, and Lord, use this time that we're uh, about to enter into for Your purposes. Holy Spirit, You be our teacher today. Use these words uh, as, as uh, Your tools to help shape and grow our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. We are, as you heard Kate mention in the video, in a recurring series uh, that we've been going through. Every few months, we've been returning to the subject of the intersection between our mental and emotional health and well-being and our spiritual lives and discipleship to Jesus. And we've been discovering that there is lots of truth that these areas have in common and that we're, we're also applying these truths from a biblical, holistic perspective. Now, in these five sermons that we're looking at here in October, we're exploring the hope and healing that Christ provides to us, even as we and those we love face some deeply challenging and sometimes devastating maladies of our souls. Addiction last week, anxiety, shame, anger, and today, hope and healing for depression. I want to be begin by telling a story. In high school, my uh, freshman PE class had a unit on wrestling. Uh, the teacher of the PE class was also the high school wrestling coach. So we had like a six-week lesson here on wrestling, and after a little bit of orientation, the coach decided that the best, way to, the best thing to do next was to have some sparring, right? You can't learn to wrestle without an opponent. So we were each paired with someone with, which, with whom we would spar. I was paired with a guy named Sean and because we were about the same height. Uh, and there we were in the wrestling room, and I get paired with Sean, and as we approach the mat, I look up to a poster on the wall in the wrestling room uh, entitled Kingpin of the Mat. Guess whose name is at the top of that list? <laughs> but Sean's. I was paired with the captain of the freshman wrestling team. He knew every hold and every move and every counter move, and I knew virtually nothing. Uh, and I really didn't want to know anything. Uh, even the coach just had to smile and shake his head at my misfortune at being paired with Sean as he blew the whistle to begin our sparring match, or mismatch, I think is the better way to put it. Now. Maybe this would be a better story if I could say to you today that I mustered some untapped power, that some orchestral swell of music was playing in the background as I found some inner strength and pinned Sean, the kingpin of the mat, to the mat. But instead, right before we began, I simply said to him, be gentle. <laughs> and a few seconds of laughter from everyone in the room mixed with my own humiliation and I came out with nothing dislocated. Now, perhaps that was a perfectly fine move in that situation, but life rarely gives us those kinds of options. Life is hard. 
we are all wrestling, and things are rarely gentle. Depression, our subject for this morning, will pin you to the mat, and you're just not able on your own to break free from it. This is one of the most disabling conditions we have in our world today. It is one of the most common mental health challenges, affecting more than 16 million adults in America each year and more than 264 million people worldwide each year. Depression uh, is not a sign of spiritual weakness. Depression can affect any of us in, at various levels. It's definitely something that we shouldn't attach any stigma or dismiss it and the misery that it brings to others. We are going to focus on this subject and also bring some hope today. Long ago, the words were written in Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Crushed in spirit is a great description of depression. To get a fuller description of depression, I sat down and learned from some of our outlookers who are also licensed mental health professionals, and we'll have a couple of videos from them. Here's the first one. Take a look. I describe depression as just not being able to feel like you have energy, feel like you have hope. Um, feel like things could go well. It's mainly a, a loss of hope or a, you know, a constant feeling down in the dumps for you know, two weeks, four weeks or more. Maybe there's things that we've enjoyed in the past and we're not feeling connected to that right now. And also body aches, feeling helpless or hopeless and just wanting to kind of hide in the world. I think we watch the commercials for antidepressants and we think, I have depression. Um, and that's really problematic because, again, these are normal emotions to be sad. Depression is so much more than that. It is not enjoying things you once enjoyed, not being able to get out of bed, not being able to find joy in the everyday. We can't sleep, we don't eat, the hobbies that we are engaged with are not as fun, uh, our communication is poor. Depression, much like anxiety, can be simply chemical. Lots of people get on an antidepressant and they need to stay on that antidepressant for the rest of their life. It can also come from abuse, neglect, abandonment. Unfortunate situations or unfortunate choices can lead to a depressed state, the loss of someone they love or the loss of life how they expected it to go. Many thanks for uh, the wisdom that we get to hear from Deanna and Jonathan and Michael and Tamara. Thank them for sharing that with us. We'll hear more from them in just a few minutes. So, depression is far more than having a bad day. It's not just sad songs and dark rooms. Depression is a lot like a word that the Bible uses, despair. Depression is a pattern of thinking that we'll find, we can find ourselves in, a way of seeing ourselves and the world, marked by helplessness and hopelessness. And all of my learning on it and research and, and getting 
uh, kind of studied up on it again in preparation for this sermon, and we heard it in the video. Those two factors, more than anything else, are markers of depression, helplessness, and hopelessness. A pervasive, intrusive uh, set of negative thoughts that seem to dominate our thinking, sapping us of our essence, of our energy, of who we are, and as you heard there, our energy and enjoyment of life for a decent period of time, for a prolonged season. In a way, depression begins to warp and change the messages that we receive and perceive in the world. Depression changes those. Here's an example I feel for the well-intentioned soul who posted this confusing encouragement. Uh, Take a look. Someone posted this uh, at at a school. Uh, You either read it, you matter, don't give up, or you don't matter, give up. And we need to we need to put a really solid line right between those. But the way you see the world will matter, will change the way you read that graphic, right? I matter. I won't give up. Depression comes in and tells us you don't matter. Go ahead and give up. And that's the kind of voice and the kind of twisting and the kind of perception that depression ends up giving us. And that's what makes it such a serious thing. Depression is an emotional experience, as so many of the things we'll talk about this month. It is an emotional experience and a physiological reality. I think we're learning more and more uh, in our world today about how the fact that our emotions are embodied, that our emotions have an effect on our physiology, and our physiology has an effect on our emotions, and that both of them work together. The, the old paradigm that what I think and what I'm thinking, or what my thoughts and my emotions are very separate from my physicality, my physical health and well-being, and what we realize is that they're actually far more intertwined than we would have given them at first credit for. Medical factors can be at play in depression, no doubt about it. God made us as whole and holistic beings. Untreated depression shortens our earthly lives by an average of five years. There's a physiological effect on the mental health that we have or struggle to have. Depression presents itself in various ways. Some folks with depression will overeat. Others have zero appetite. Some sleep long hours while others can't sleep at all. Some cry often and easily. Others just feel numb. Some will experience depression in intense bouts. Others will feel it less intensely, but more consistently. Some can work and fake a smile. Others are so drained they can't take a shower. Depression hits us all in different ways, but it can hit any of us all and does hit many of us at different points in our lives. Depression seems to be pretty well described by the writer of Psalm 102, uh, my Bible introduces the psalm as a prayer of an, infli- of a, of an inf- afflicted person who has grown weak and pours out a lament before the Lord. That's the way the psalmist entitled this psalm. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Don't hide your face from me when I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted 
and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. In my distress, I groan aloud and am reduced to skin and bones. I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. Those enemies can be real people or the thoughts in our heads. Am I right? For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. As much as the Bible points us toward joy throughout, it understands sadness, grief, depression. In Psalm 42, 11, we read words that are actually repeated more than a couple of times in the Psalms. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for, yet, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. We see an absolute uh, non-avoidance, let's put it that way, of subjects like what we would call depression throughout the Scriptures. There's no denying it. And in fact, there's a clear um, acknowledgement that this is part of what it means to be a human being. Perhaps no single biblical account captures this as well and as fully as the time when the prophet Elijah was being hunted by Queen Jezebel in 1 Kings 19. We're going way back into the Old Testament here, and we're going to see a scene in the life of an Old Testament prophet. After great spiritual victories over the prophets of Baal, this mighty man of God was deeply distressed and definitely despairing. We pick it up in 1 Kings 19. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He is just, if you were to skip back just a little bit, you would see that he just experienced a tremendous spiritual high, you might say. God definitely showed up in miraculous and amazing ways. And Elijah was certainly showing himself as a prophet of God. But now, with this threat on his life and exhausted, all he can think is that he'd rather die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Here we can see ourselves, can we not? Anyone had a day where you said, I've had enough, Lord? I've just had enough. Elijah is exhausted and at his wit's end. And the way he is seeing the world and himself, it would be best to just end it. Now, watch and listen how God meets him in this. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Stops, receives the sustenance, the provision that the angels provided, that God has provided, and then he goes back to sleep. God, through his angel, is a nurse to Elijah, taking care of him. We should note, God is not berating him for his humanity, as if it were a weakness, but understanding it as part of who he is. This should get our attention. Because what we think of when we think of God is the most important thing about us. And if we think God is a God who looks at us 
with such disappointment, such non-understanding, such demands that we can't fulfill, then that will put us under a cloud that any of us could call depression or despair. To think that the God that knows me and created me doesn't love me, or loves me only when I'm uh, you know, kind of performing in a certain category or at a certain level, that's a despairing thought. But what we see here, yes, way back in even the Old Testament, is a tender, caring God who understands the plight of what it means to be a human and meets us in those moments. Someone needs to hear this this morning. Whether you're here with me in the room or we're together online, someone needs to know that God sees you in your moments, even in your moments of despair, maybe even especially in your moments of despair. And He comes to you tenderly and with care, not with demands and disappointment. You may also need to hear what is said next. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. I'm touched every time I read this by the empathy of God through this angel. The journey's too much for you. You need to eat. You need to rest. God sees you and knows that this leg of your journey may very well be too much for you. So stop trying to do it without Him, without rest, without others. I'm going to say that one one more time. God sees you and knows that this leg of your journey may very well be too much for you, so stop trying to do it without Him, without rest, without others. Strengthened by that food, the Bible says, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. So he got some rest, he got some food, he set about on his travels to his next point. He was now good to go from a physical point of view. But the beauty of the story is that God's still not finished with him. And sometimes that's true for us too. We need more. You may get a little rest and get a little food, and the physical side of your, you know, your being is, is strengthened, and you're feeling a little bit more like yourself. All right. But there's even more that we need because we all have a spiritual hunger and a void that needs filled, and it can only be filled. Oh, we'll try a thousand different ways to fill it, and all of them will be disappointing and hollow and empty. But it needs filled, and Jesus is the one to fill it. God, the God of the Bible, the God who knows you, loves you, created you, He's the one who can fill it. Elijah needs something more, and even if he doesn't know it, God knows it. So after he travels, he finds himself spending the night in a cave, and God meets him there and promises to appear to Elijah. saying, I see your situation, and I want to come near to you. See, that's what we get to enjoy as New Testament Christians. God has now promised to come near to us in the deepest of ways. We have now the Holy Spirit of God promised to live in us. But this is a day where that wasn't yet the case. God is making an appearance to this prophet because he knows, he knows, that's what he needs. That's what God wants to do. It's a gift. So, it's a great, so, so Elijah's in this cave. He hears this promise from God. It says, a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. 
After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earth. I think of the scenes from the hurricane from a week plus ago, right? Talk about wind, right? Every time we see footage like that. So imagine Elijah at the mouth of that cave and the wind and the rocks are falling and breaking. And then, but no, that's just the, that's just kind of the, the preamble to God's appearance. God, God, the wind was not where God was. Then there's an earthquake and the earth begins to move under his feet. But it says the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. Then it says, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. Man, you may be in your life feeling like you've gone through plenty of wind, plenty of shaking, and plenty of flame. The Lord is seeing you through those things, but the Lord then comes into our hearts and speaks to us after all of that and says in a gentle whisper our name. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth of the cave again. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is a great question. You can imagine, when God's asking questions, those are good questions, right? And I I think about this question, and I think about it in light of what it means to live life. What it means to live life if you're dealing with depression, as we're talking about today. Certainly, what we're doing is we're watching how God handles Elijah as he is in what anyone would call a depressed state, right? I despair for my life. It's better for that I just die. Um, He's exhausted. God's taking care of him. And then God chooses to ask him this question. And I believe it's one of those questions that you could take and break down. What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, I'm despairing for my life, and I'm a little discouraged, and, you know, okay. What are you doing here? You can begin to move through this question as a diagnostic for your own life. If I were to answer it, what are you doing here, Rob? Well, I'd say, well, I'm standing up here preaching. Okay. What are you doing here, Rob? Well, this church hired me back and, you know, da-da-da-da, so I guess that's why I'm here. You know, and you called me to minister. Oh, yeah, that's, that's true, too. And, you know, so you can start to think, well, what, what, what is true of me? Now, what are you doing here? Well, I guess it's more than preaching. What I really want to do is, is, is hopefully see souls grow and people come to know Jesus. And that's what I hope is happening here. I hope the Holy Spirit's doing stuff and I just get to partner. Oh, okay, that's a, that's a good answer. What are you doing here right now? right here, with these folks in this moment. If you run your own life through that kind of question, I think you'd be pleased at the kinds of answers, the kinds of self-awareness, the kinds of knowledge that the Lord will help you find. He's asking a great question here. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, Elijah replies, hey, I've been very zealous for the Lord. He kind of has his own set of answers, kind of the way I just ran through some possible ones for myself. He says, the Israelites have rejected your covenant. I'm the only prophet that's left, and uh, they're trying to kill me, and my life is really hard, he says. We all have those moments. I feel like Elijah's having one of those, where he's like, where is God? And God wants to show himself to be present. Maybe he felt like God was a million miles away at this point, and God needed to make sure he was relieved of that, of that lie. We need sometimes relieved of it too. God then says to Elijah, you're not alone. I actually know of about 7,000 others who are throughout the land, and they've remained faithful. You're not alone. you got people. 
And more than that, I'm going to give you a friend and a successor named Elisha. And you, if you keep reading, you'll read about that too. Again, God is taking care of Elijah in his state, giving him the food and the rest, the water, the sustenance, and even the spiritual nourishment that he needs, asking him questions to evaluate his life, and then making sure that he has a knowledge that he's not alone, he's not doing this alone, and even gives him a close friend to begin to do life with. That's where God is. A gentle whisper, a faithful friend. See, depression will convince us otherwise. That you are helpless and hopeless. But hear me this morning. You are, in Christ, neither helpless nor hopeless. In fact, in God, these are the last things we are. (laughs) The last thing that we are is without help. Right? We have God at our side. We have God promising to walk with us and love us. The last thing we would be is without help. He stands ready to help. Watch what he did there with Elijah. And hope? If we have Christ in our lives, then hope is the one thing that we do have. We may feel like many things could be stripped from us or lost in this world, but hope, no, no, no. Hope is the thing that will absolutely stay. So help and hope are the things that stick with us most closely as we follow God, even if all else may seem at times lost. And so those are the last things that we really are. That speaks to the depths of depression's deceit, that it wants to rob us of even those things that are most closely aligned to our relationship with God. Let's hear a little bit more from our fellow outlookers in our second video. Someone experiencing depression may notice a desire to isolate from other people. So maybe we don't return texts or answer phone calls or reach out to the people who we normally spend time with. Going to bed earlier and also noticing a change in appetite or a change in sleep habits. They're feeling like they're at that bottom of the pit, looking up and not seeing any light. High levels of isolation very low levels of productivity. Their thoughts are not on track. Um, Their behaviors are typically not on track and they're just not able to see things clearly. People who struggle with depression, again, are not lazy. It's just like sitting in quicksand. You just sit in it and it gets worse and worse. Also, suicidal thoughts can enter in when we're experiencing depression and, you know, making sure that we talk to others who we trust about those thoughts that are entering into our head. And it doesn't help when your friend says, hey, what do you have to be sad about? You have a great life. That's not helpful. What we really are worried about is this ability to enjoy life again. In addition to medicine and therapy, some things that we can do to help with depression is to get our bodies moving. 30 minutes of exercise is a natural antidepressant and it will help depression and anxiety. Even if we can only do 10 to 15 minutes, that will be helpful as well. One of the hardest things to do, but the most important thing to do when you struggle with depression is behavioral activation. What that means is a fancy word for the get up and go. Even though you don't want to get out of bed, get up, walk to the stop sign, even if that's two houses down, 
get some fresh air. That's really hard to do when you have depression, but it's the thing that's actually gonna help the most. Cook a fancy meal, even though you don't wanna eat it. Do the things that you find joy in and get you out and about and moving. I may not feel like going to work. I may not feel like exercising. I may not feel like answering a text or a call but I have to do the opposite action sometimes. We can eat a balanced diet, drink lots of water, take vitamins, and also it's making sure that we're not isolating, that we are connecting ourselves with others. Depression doesn't have to be so isolating. It can be support through friends or family or colleagues. It's just, you don't have to do it alone. You need to reach out to someone else for help. Talk to a therapist or a doctor, pastor, friend, family. Do everything you can to spend time outside. Um, spend time um, turning it over to God in prayer and just have very candid conversations with God. Talk to others. Just keep going. I am always thankful for such solid and practical guidance because in that is wisdom as well. And, and you heard a, a theme that we heard last week and now we're hearing it again today. Connection and community are key, we, that we have to end isolation. Nothing good comes from that. I want to read a passage. It's kind of a cool insight into the relationships of the early Christians. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And the Apostle Paul is writing to these Christians, and he says, For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but, and, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. So he's describing what life was like when he first met them and, and, and as he moved in, uh, into their area on his, in his travels. And he talks about how there's conflicts on the outside, there's fears on the inside. They were restless, they were harassed. And he says, but God who comforts the downcast. you got to love that phrase. God who comforts the downcast comforted us by what? The coming of Titus, a friend. Someone that they needed and knew and loved, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. So he's saying he was sent by you, he was comforted by you, and now he's comforting us. Think of the interrelationship of the dependence that they have on each other. You hear these relationships being spoken of there, and you're reminded that the, that the mighty Christians who, who wrote the first these, these letters that become our New Testament, the people who, who were there spreading the gospel, they were real people with real needs who appreciated the relationships they had with each other and at times really needed those relationships, right? Fears within, uh, conflicts without. We were downcast and God comforted us by the coming of a friend, a friend that was comforted by you yourselves, he says. He, he told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. In other words, it feels good to be loved by someone, to be cared for by another, to be in another person's thoughts and prayers. And that's why church is so essential. I mean, this is God's built-in family to make sure no one ever has to go it alone. This is a picture of people going through hard times and supporting each other, even in anguish and despair. And I love it. I just love it. Now, as, since we're getting practical here, and as we wrap up, you heard Deanna mention that it's the, not always helpful to say certain things to someone who's going through depression. Let's take a quick inventory of things not to say. Snap out of it. Okay, just don't do that. 
All right? Just try harder. Smile. Cheer up. Or, you don't seem sad. Or, it can't be that bad. Or, it could be worse. But you don't look depressed. It's all in your head. This too shall pass. You only think about yourself. Other people have problems too. You're thinking about yourself too much. You're self-possessed. Or, just let it go. Or, just have faith. Mm. What we can do for those in our lives who are dealing with depression is tell them we care. Ask how we can help. Take care of some tasks and like chores or errands because many times depression saps our energy. Offer to help them find help. Express empathy and understanding. Be supportive and definitely not judgy, right? When in doubt, don't be judgy. Can we all agree to that? Additionally, and I should be clear on this, we are not a church that says taking medicine is wrong or going to a doctor is a lack of faith. In fact, uh, the fact is brain chemistry is a big deal. And just like the chemistry and condition of our heart, our lungs, any number of other organs or systems in our bodies, medicine can help our brains as well. Medicine can be a potent and helpful component to mental health. And likewise, on the other end of the spectrum, God's Word is not meant to be like a magic pill. You take it, and now you're all better. And if you're not better, you must be taking it wrong. Anyone ever feel like that? Or been made to feel like that? Instead, I would describe God's Word as more like a place that you go to hear truth and be reminded of what's real. Because things like depression or the addiction we talked about last week or the anxiety that we'll be talking about soon, those things turn and twist messages in us. We need to find a place that tells us the truth. God's Word is that place. We hear truth. We're reminded of what's real. God's love, the reality of God in our lives. And in, from, in and from such a place as that, we can walk through then depression and everything else. Again, when we approach God's word, we shouldn't, think, we shouldn't be throwing out platitudes, but instead finding principles. We shouldn't be offering simple fixes, but at the same time, we can acknowledge that simple faith can be very powerful. Consider these timeless and ancient words from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Quietness is hard to find. And so is refreshing for all of us in life, certainly for someone facing depression. He guides me along the right paths for His namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. And what is depression if not a dark valley? One that feels like it's leading to the shadow of death without a doubt. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's that word again, right? Enemies can be real people, but they can also be the real thoughts in our heads. But instead, we have a table prepared before us. Amidst all those thoughts, there's a feast made available. 
Get up and eat and drink, the angel said to Elijah. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. What is an enemy if not the voice of depression? Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and love are exactly what we can't see when we're depressed, yet they're following you every day. Turn and find them. Turn and look. Turn and be reminded that they're there and dwell in them. This is how God's Word can begin to lift the floor of our feelings. It's not about applying it in a way that suddenly vaporizes those feelings or calls them uh, just as if you shouldn't be having them and just get rid of them. Instead, God's Word comes in from underneath and raises the floor of our feelings, begins to remind us of what's true, puts us on some sturdier ground to remind us of what we forget first when depression rolls in. We forget that we are neither helpless nor hopeless. And God's Word reminds us that that's simply not true. You need not feel pinned forever. As we take the bread and the cup this morning, I'd invite you to pick that up if you grabbed one on your way in. Every week when we take the bread and cup, we are reminding ourselves of who our King is. That if I, if I can go back to that opening story for just a second, life is wrestling us on the mat, but we can look up to the poster on the wall and see whose name's at the top of the list. And that, that name won't be our opponent. That name will be Jesus. That name is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That name is the one who is strong, though we are weak. The name of the one who's gentle when the world is harsh. The name of a friend who sees you, the name of the Lord, who loves you, loves you so much that he went to the cross for you and for me. Let's thank him for it as we take the, bread, or take the cup together. No matter what tries to pin us, there is hope and there is power within us. And we gain strength. Take and eat, the angel said to the prophet, Take and eat, Jesus says to us. And let's do that together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you see us in all the things we endure. And you don't stand over us, arms crossed, frowning. You see us in all of our need and know and empathize and understand what it means to be a human being. Thank you, Jesus, for that. You meet us in our moments of need, and you meet those needs. In fact, you meet them in ways we couldn't even predict, and you meet the needs we're aware of and the needs we're not aware of. You see them all. And so, Lord, it's my prayer this morning that anyone who is going through depression feels they may be headed that direction, feels they may be coming out of a season of depression, or knows and loves someone who, for whom any of that might be true, that, that they would receive from your word here this morning some encouragement, some good reminders, and, and a sense that they're not alone, that there are a people who would accept and love and walk uh, through life with them, and that they need not ever isolate and be alone. That's my prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.